We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke uh, chapter 1 today. It's never too early to read Luke chapter 1. Amen? It's a beautiful uh, place for us to begin this season. We're going to be reading the Magnificat, Mary's song. It's in Luke 1, beginning in verse 46 and following through the end of the song in verse 55. Together, let's hear uh, the word of the Lord. You can follow along with the words on the screen, or if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to do that as well. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This is God's word offered to us in its reading and in its hearing, so we give thanks to the Lord God Almighty. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Gracious God, what a gift it is to come into this space, this time, filled with the the joy of this season as the calendar turns to Advent and we feel your presence yet again with us in this exciting way. God, meet with us now as we gather around your word. Let it have a profound impact on our lives, not just on the moments we share together here in this room, but on our lives, the way we live and have our being in the world. We ask, oh God, that you would open our eyes that we would see our ears that we would hear. Lord, open our, our minds that we come to know and understand your word, our hearts that we would feel its power. Then I ask, oh God, that you would open our hands, that we would be instruments of your grace in the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, this is a safe space. It's just us here, uh, or here, but it's just us, okay? Just the, the 1030 current worship service at Covenant Methodist Church, safe space. When is it okay to begin Christmas? Like, I, I really w- want to know from y'all, when, when is it okay to begin Christmas? Is there a standard that's applicable for, for you? Is there, is there a way that you've been trained, something that you've been taught? When is it okay to begin Christmas? I actually would like an answer. The, the day after Thanksgiving is the common thread that I heard in the room. And, and I want you to know that's how I was raised. I don't know if it's like a Texas thing, a Southern thing, or if it's just plain known. The day after Thanksgiving is the day Christmas begins. I mean, here's how I was raised. Like, like thanks, that Christmas begins when Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving leftovers are consumed. Like uh, Friday morning... After Thanksgiving, you got the boxes down out of the attic, right? Which was always and is always a dangerous task. 
I don't know why attic staircases are so dangerous, but they are. So you bring all the boxes down. You happen to survive another year of that task. You get it all lined out. And then, gentlemen and children, we all do the same thing. We sit for directions waiting for mama. Mama tells us what to do. And we do what mama tells us to do whenever that happens. I remember when I was a kid, I was not allowed to touch anything unless my mom told me what I was to touch. That was it. And so we, we worked through that process and we took a lunch break, uh, cranberry turkey rolls leftover from Thanksgiving, right? That's uh, the, 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 the Smith-Schuster rolls, mm, right? Like, so we Ziploc bag, open it up, eat the rolls. So we would, we would get Christmas all set up and then get the boxes back up in the attic and then it's time for, uh, for, for me uh, to go put the lights on the house, the lights on the house for me entail putting a stake in the ground that has a projector on it and it just lights up. <laughs> that's, that's my lazy super self. Uh, so was it different this year for you? Again, safe space, just us, no one else. Was it different this year? When, when did Christmas start for you this year? Halloween. Halloween. <laughs> hey, man, y- y'all, we are like, Together today, it's like I, I, I call for a, with a question, you give me an answer. And it's, look, November the 1st was the beginning of Christmas this year. It, it, something, something just happened where, where collectively, as a society, we said rules are different in 2020. Like there were certain standards that we had come to expect. Christmas begins on the Friday after Thanksgiving. But this year, 2020, we need Christmas early. Hallmark had all the movies on on November the 1st. Actually, it might even be pre-Halloween. But in our house, they came on on November the 1st. We've been watching The Grinch. We've been watching... uh, uh, the, the Elf on the Shelf movie. I think we've watched 17 different ways that a guy uh, like, like figures out a way to not screw up Christmas uh, on, on the Hallmark Channel, which is what I guess guys are known to do, evidently. But we have been in this mode for a longer period of time than ever before. On November the 1st, we started listening to Christmas music in the house. That week, the Christmas stuff was brought down out of the attic. By November the 9th, all of the boxes were put back up into the attic, which y'all know, that's, 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 that's a big deal. The trees are beautiful. Presents are wrapped under the tree before Thanksgiving. All of them. I hope all of them, baby. We can't get no more presents. No more presents. And here's what I think has been happening for us. There's been a deep felt, common felt experience that we need Christmas this year. But we need to, to articulate what does that mean? Like why why did we feel that? And and why are we we looking for that, driving towards that? It's because it's because of, of what Christmas means. It means God with us. That God was made flesh and dwelt among us. It's it's Matthew uh, chapter one. 
it, it, it's, it's when Joseph meets with the angel of the Lord and the angel says that, that his uh, betrothed Mary will give birth to a son. You're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And then he says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I think that's why we have been looking forward to Christmas this year. Because over the course of the year, we have been operating under the strength of that truth that God is with us. It seems like maybe more than ever before, we have needed God with us. Uh, we have felt uh, weak. We have felt afraid. We have felt anxious. We have felt confused. We have felt uh, uh, tension. And all of these feelings within us have driven us to, to need more so than ever before God with us. And so we've called out to that need in the way in which we have invited Christmas in so early this year. But even that statement, God with us, it, it, it's, a, it's a truth that we submit to. And it's a conviction that, that we rest in. But there's something different whenever we arrive at the time to celebrate. When the conviction is so deeply felt that celebration rises up from within us and just explodes into rejoicing. That's what I hope this season can be for us together, a celebration that God is with us. But, but, but to, to, to not allow that phrase, God with us, to, to, to lack uh, some, some, some teeth or some rootedness, but we want to name that when God is with us, it means so much more. It means really concrete things. It means that peace now is with us. It means that joy now is with us. It means today we're focusing on hope now with us, that, that when Jesus comes from heaven down, into, down onto earth and, and is born of Mary and is laid in that manger, that manger contains hope. And that that hope is, is for uh, that people in that circumstance at that time. That, that hope is for Mary. That hope then it passes on from generation to generation and that hope is for us today. We need that hope. And so we are so thankful that Christmas season, Advent, is here so that we can rest in that hope as well. For us to receive that hope, we might need to, to set the scene for this uh, Luke chapter 1 uh, text that we read. We read the Magnificat, this song. We'll get more to that in a second, but we need to, to orient ourselves to what's going on. First, a little bit about Mary. Just a, a, a quick Cliff Notes version into Mary. Some things that, 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 that we know, but we could rest in. Mary is from Nazareth. It's a, a small town uh, in the, the region of the Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, but it's not a coastal city. It's not a, it's not a big city. It's actually a really small town. It might even be known as Podunk. 
So whatever podunk means to you, I want you to kind of identify that. I know that you come from different different regions of the country or even the world. And so uh, I want you to think big city. I want you to think suburb. I want you to think like county seat town. And then I want you to think itty bitty podunk town. Like one stoplight or less. Maybe a blinking red light, right? Bead eyes, gnome, bowling, gunter, right? I don't know, like these are the things that come to mind for me. That's where Mary's from. Mary is from nowhere. And she feels like she's nobody. She might feel like that because she is growing up in a season of history for the people of Israel uh, when, when uh, when they are existing in Roman occupation, Okay, the Roman Empire has come in, they've taken over, and they didn't just like, like, like leave, they stayed, and now they, uh, they lord their culture, their, uh, their government, their authority over the nation of Israel. And so anything that the people of Israel are allowed to do, notice I said allowed, that they don't do uh, uh, by their own decision, but only because Rome lets them. They are inherently a people oppressed by an external government that is not of their own choosing. So she's from nowhere, and she feels like she's nobody. And and more than that, we we need to put together not, not just the things around Mary, but some of who Mary is. She is a teenage bride to be. And by teenage, I don't mean 19 and already out of the house and in college. I mean, like, ninth grade teenager. Do we need a ninth grader to stand up to bear witness to that so we can all get a picture of that? No, we know what ninth grade looks like, right? Mary's like a ninth grade young woman who is engaged to be married, but in this interim season... She's not of her own family, and she's not of her family to be. She is truly in a liminal state. And so she's from nowhere. She feels like she's nobody. And she has this deep felt sense that she's not worth anything it seems there's an image of hopelessness that comes to mind when you consider mary mary before luke chapter one and and maybe even by mary's own acknowledgement in the magnificat when which we'll get to i promise in a few minutes but back to the scene setup so so mary is in this nobody from nowhere feeling like she's not worth anything state and and an angel of the Lord comes to her in, uh, earlier in the chapter, beginning in verse 28. And I want you to, to hear and see how this plays forward. I'm actually going to put my stand in front of me because we're going we're to walk through this together. So first, the, the angel says to Mary, Greetings, you who are highly favored. Does that sound like the description I gave of Mary? Does that sound like someone who's favored? 
Like she hears this declaration from the Lord, you're favored. She's like, huh? Me? Don't feel like it. Don't look like it. My circumstances don't speak that. Highly favored. And then Mary's response in verse 29 is, she, Mary was greatly troubled at his words. She didn't say, oh, thank you. So sweet. You're so kind. I did it yesterday. Like, no. She says, huh? And her spirit is troubled. She's greatly troubled at his words, wonders what kind of greeting this is. So then the angel goes on. Don't be afraid. Obviously, there's fear in Mary. There's trouble in Mary. You found favor with God. Again, favor with God. Verse 31, verse 30. And then he describes what this favor looks like. You're going to conceive and bear a child. He's going to be the savior of the world. He's going to be the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his, fa- of his father, David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. Wow. You're going to give birth to a son, and he's going to be great, mighty, powerful, and he'll reign forever. So it starts with favor, and her response is trouble. The second time she hears favor, what is her response? Question, how can this be? She feels so deeply that she's nobody from nowhere who doesn't believe she's worth anything that, that the angel tells her of her favor twice over and even how, and she questions it. How can this be? I'm a virgin. Then the angel describes how this will happen. The Holy Spirit will come on her. She'll, she will conceive a son. But here's, here's what I want you, you, to, you to see. Verse 36, the angel is so generous to Mary. The angel does something that, that doesn't always happen. In fact, oftentimes it does not happen. The angel provides proof. Not the, the, God doesn't provide a rebuke for the troubled state of her spirit or for her questioning. Uh, there's no rebuke. There's actually proof. And that proof comes uh, when he declares, the angel declares that your cousin, Elizabeth, who's uh, barren, who's of old age, has no kids, incapable of having kids. She is pregnant. She's, in her, uh, she's now in her sixth month. And then the word of God will never fail. So what's Mary's response? You got favored, troubled, favored, questioned, and then you got, you are favored, here's how and some proof, and Mary says, I'm the Lord's servant, may your word, in verse 38, may your word be fulfilled, to me be fulfilled, may your word to me be fulfilled. I sense in Mary that there is uh, a faithfulness that responds to this declaration from the angel in submission, in submission to the Lord and the Lord's will. But there is yet to be fully realized conviction in her of this truth. Many of us fall into that boat. You're told something and you want to believe it. Like, you, you, you really, really want to believe it. But, but you hear that as trust but verify, right? You trust it, 
but you need to go on and verify. You need to go on and, and do your research, crunch the numbers. You know, someone tells you it's possible, I need to go verify it. Anyone have that problem? In, this is me, right? Trust but verify. So, so Mary has submitted to the Lord and has some level of conviction, but it seems to be waning in a trust but verified sort of a state. And so she follows up on it. Have you ever gotten that? The reason why she goes to Elizabeth's isn't because she's so like, excited about, uh, about what's going on with Elizabeth or because uh, she is so, uh, so disgusted by Joseph that she just needs to get away or because she just wants a vacation from Nazareth. No, it's because the angel has given her a, a, a source of proof about his declaration to her. So she is going to verify that for herself, see it with her own eyes. And so here's what happens. She travels to see Elizabeth in the hill country of Judea, and then uh, she arrives, and in verse 41, here's what happened. Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting. So this is like, hello. This is like, door opens, hey. At that moment, at the moment of greeting, no one's used the restroom. No one's put down their suitcase. No, no one's had, like, they, they're not gathered around the, the table yet. Nothing's happened. Greeting. All that's happened is greeting. Verse 41, when, Mary heard, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, John the Baptist, leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and in a loud voice she exclaimed. Three things I want to be sure we note in this. Three things happen. The first is the baby, John the Baptist, that Elizabeth is carrying six months in plus the travel time from, uh, from Mary to get from Nazareth to, uh, to the hill country of Judea where uh, Elizabeth resides, uh, leaps in her womb. I, I don't know what this feels like, but I've seen it happen. And so some of you can testify to that, women. When, a, when the baby leaps, I'm not talking about the kick or the little leg poke thing where, where, oh, look, he's kicking. And like you like, come touch. No, I'm talking about leaps. You, now I see your faces. I see it in your eyes. You got the masks on, but I see it in your eyes. When a baby leaps in a woman, like it will buckle them over. There is a physical response. And so there in that moment, the baby leaps, and there's a physical experience that Elizabeth has. And then the second thing is this, the Holy Spirit comes upon Elizabeth. Now, most Christians, we, we think that the Holy Spirit uh, only uh, exists from, uh, from Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost on, that, 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 that the Holy Spirit wasn't there at the beginning. We miss the fact that the Holy Spirit uh, w was uh, hovering over the waters of creation, that, that Father, Son, and Spirit were there from the very beginning, and that the Holy Spirit operates throughout the Old Testament and is operating here in Elizabeth uh, before Jesus is even born, okay? And the Holy Spirit comes upon Elizabeth, so she has this physical response and this spiritual response and then we have uh, we have uh, this this beautiful moment uh, where in verse 42 it says in a loud voice she exclaimed and then I'm going to read to you what she exclaimed and then I'm going to ask you to imagine what it actually sounded like blessed are you among women this is in verse 42 and blessed is the child you will bear 
But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me as soon as the sound of the greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. I didn't read it. I, don't, I, do, not, I do not believe. I read that as Elizabeth declared it. If you really set that scene in your mind and hear the description that the Lord gives us in his word, we would see this picture of a physical and spiritual experience that Elizabeth is having. And then why does it feel the need? Why does Luke feel the need to declare in a loud voice? She lifted up this blessing upon Mary. It, it, it like just came out of her. It, it was the Holy Spirit speaking through her. She was a vessel for a spiritual witness of anointing and affirmation that Mary uh, needed to hear. She, she was looking to trust and verify. And so she sees Elizabeth with child. She sees Elizabeth have the child leap within her. And then uh, it's almost as though, knock, knock, knock. Hey, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. I mean, it's, it's, it's shocking. It comes out of nowhere. There's no time to process this. Mary doesn't say, this is my experience with the angel of the Lord, and now this is, this is the reality that I'm facing. There's no like, articulation of what is taking place. It's purely a spiritual moment that provides Mary with the deep assurance conviction that she is looking for. It happens in verse 45. I don't want us to miss it. Verse 45, Elizabeth declares, through the power of the Holy Spirit, blessed is Mary who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Blessed is the one who believes that he has fulfilled his promises to her. Mary has submitted, and then she is filled with a Holy Spirit-sized conviction that leads her to celebration. That leads her to celebration. That's the celebration that we're looking for this year more than any, any other year. Because when we consider the year that has been, and we consider any anxiety that we've had, any fear that we've had, when we consider the loss that we've experienced, the challenges that we face, the need that we can now articulate. We know that we depend on the Lord, God with us. And for Mary, when it arrives at the space of celebration, it comes out as hope. When it arrives at the space of celebration for Mary, it comes out as hope. I want you to, to, to catch this. It comes out as hope. 
Here's, here's the way it passes through. In verse 48, she says that, that God has been mindful of the humble state of her servant, of his servant. He has, he has seen the, her humble state, her, her downtrodden experiences of life, and he has acknowledged her. He didn't have to. He didn't have to see her. He didn't have to acknowledge her. And yet he did. And so she is filled with hope because of this. Then in, in verse uh, 52, he breaks down that, that, that God has scattered the proud in, the, in their inmost thoughts. He brought down rulers. But then he lifted up the humble. He looked out upon the lowly, upon the humble, and he lifted them up. He lifts her up, and he lifted them up. And then he fills the hungry, in verse 53, with good things. 54, he helped the servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. So anyone who's felt downtrodden, who's felt lowly, who's, ne- who's felt hunger, who's needed help, who's needed mercy, any of those five things, God arrives with hope in Jesus. And whenever God shows up with hope, it changes things, and Mary has to celebrate because of that extraordinary change. Now, how do we get this song? I find it, I find it extraordinary that Luke is the one that brings us this song. And, and, we, and we should acknowledge how unique that is because Luke is not one of the disciples. He's not one of the 12. By most every account, Luke, who wrote both Luke and Acts, and some believe assisted in the writing of Hebrews, was a a disciple of Jesus who came to Christ following Paul. We know that he followed Paul because whenever Paul writes the letter of Colossians from jail, he says that Luke is there with him, either in prison or helping him out. Luke is known as a doctor, a healer, okay? Luke is also there with Paul in Rome in Acts chapter 16, okay? And again, as Paul is, is, is uh, in and out of jail in Rome, we don't know if Luke was in jail with him or was just serving to his needs while he was there. Luke very likely was a disciple that converted to the faith in Antioch, which is 300 miles away from Jerusalem, So when we think about this, we have a guy who never met Jesus face to face in the flesh. It is unlikely that Luke ever met Mary, Jesus' mother, who sang this song originally. And it is also unlikely that Luke met very many of the original disciples unless he journeyed with Paul back to Jerusalem on one of his journeys that we don't have recorded and met some of them there. Closest to that personal encounter with Jesus Jesus and with Mary likely came with Barnabas. So whenever you think about Luke being the one to write this, now you have to ask the question, how? How do we get this account whenever we don't have uh, that one-on-one relationship with Mary? And it's only by the potency of the hope that Mary is declaring that we receive this word. Follow with me. Mary was known to travel with Jesus. She was often with the disciples and often in those settings with the disciples. 
So we would think that sometimes whenever the disciples were at Peter's house in Capernaum, she would be hanging out with them. When they were on the road traveling and they were camping out, she would probably be with them. If, if they were going to one of the festivals, one of the feasts in Jerusalem and traveled from the Galilee to Jerusalem, she would have been there with them. And as they traveled, they would have spent the night. And I can imagine that the disciples, whenever they were spending the night, they would maybe camp out, especially when they're traveling. You know, whenever they were in the Galilee, they would have homes to stay in. But whenever they were traveling back and forth to Jerusalem, they probably were under the stars. And so as they're camping out under the stars, they have their wood fire for cooking purposes, and it stays lit. And Jesus, in my, in, my, in my spiritual imagination, Jesus withdraws to have some quiet space at night. He spends all day healing and teaching and leading and guiding. And so whenever he gets those moments, the scripture attests over and over again, he, he withdraws to pray. And so I imagine he's withdrawn. And here are the disciples sitting around the campfire late into the evening with Mary. And one of the disciples calls out to Mary, Mary, tell us about Jesus. Tell us about Jesus before we met him. What was he like as a kid? And then she'd tell, tell the story of, of how uh, they, they went to Jerusalem and, and, uh, and they lost him. And, uh, and, and the other women that are there with them around the campfire are like, I lost my kid too before. Don't worry. It happens to all of us. And all of us are like, yeah, we lost a kid before too. And, and, you know, but, but Mary says, no, I lost him for a couple of days. And you know, he was teaching in the temple and everybody was astounded at him. But, but disciples, you ask about him as a kid, but you're missing the beginning of the story. It's my favorite part, Mary would say. And Mary would tell the disciples of her position in society and her poverty and her humble estate and her, her situation in Nazareth and her, uh, her teenage years as a bride-to-be. And then she would say, and then the angel came to me. And she told me I was, he told me I was favored when I didn't believe it. Then she would tell of her trip to Elizabeth and the Holy Spirit's conviction. And then she told the disciples, she told the disciples of the song that the Holy Spirit gave her that acknowledged the hope that we have in Jesus Christ our Lord. She sang a song to them. It was, it was her heart song. And around that campfire, I wonder who was the musician. There's always a musician, you know. Uh, I've oftentimes wondered, you know, it's probably not Peter. Peter's like, meh, meh, meh. So, so Peter's not the musician. It's probably like Bartholomew, you know, or, or, or the second Judas. I've always wondered what the second Judas was, was, was like because we know about one Judas, but we don't know about the other. You read the list. Maybe, maybe it was Thaddeus or, you know, one of these guys that we don't know much about. Uh, I, I, I feel like that was the one, and he probably had like, like, like a little, little lyre. And Mary starts singing, and he starts playing. And Mary sings a song of hope. For the world. And then when they're on their next trip, Bartholomew breaks out the lyre and he says, Hey Mary, let's do that song again. I love that song. That one that gives me hope. That one that tells me that it's gonna be okay because God is with us. gives me hope. Let's sing that song. 
So from generation to generation, Christians have sung this song of hope. And some guy who came to know Jesus 300 miles away with no planes, trains, or automobiles, he learns this song and he records it in his gospel because the Holy Spirit told him, because the Holy Spirit said, this is the song I gave her. It's a song of hope. This year, more than any other year, I feel like we need to remember that God is with us. But let us be deeply rooted in the truth that since God is with us, hope is with us. And because that hope comes from the Lord, let it never, ever fade. Because it will never, ever fail. Let's pray together. Gracious God, what a gift it is to come together around your word and to hear of, uh, of generations of hope, hope that came down at Christmas in our Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. Lord, you are with us, and that is enough. That is all we need. Your hope is with us, and it sustains us through every trial that we face. So we pray, O oh God, in this space, in this time, that you would make yourself known to us yet again and fill us, Lord, with your Holy Spirit, that we would celebrate the hope we have in you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.